from Optimized Health, this is the True Health Podcast, where we unlearn diet culture and personalize our health one tip and story at a time. My guest today is Taylor Fazio. Taylor is a registered dietitian and wellness advisor at the Lanby, a primary care membership in New York City. She received both her Bachelor of Science in Nutrition and Dietetics and her Master of Science degree in Clinical Nutrition from New York University. She has extensive experience in private nutrition counseling and corporate wellness. By blending up-to-date science with realistic advice, Taylor takes an individualized approach to each client's guidance on nutrition, movement, sleep, and stress management to optimize their health and, most importantly, feel their best. For me personally, I have been so excited to have her on um, on my Instagram, if you looked at the Instagram messages between me and Taylor, it is basically us sharing bullshit that we find in the wellness world and just talking about how frustrating it is. So I hope you will get lots out of this. Uh, Taylor, welcome. Thank you for having me, Ethan. You are my favorite follow on Instagram. We have the best conversation. Yeah. <laughs> we like to call things out as they are, which is amazing. Um yeah. I have been so pumped about this. We've been talking about doing this for a while. Um, so to jump into it, how are you today? What's up? What's the latest? The latest? I'm good today. It is a beautiful crisp fall day in New York. So you might hear New York, um, but I'm just at the office in between seeing patients. I'm doing good. I'm so excited to be here finally. Yeah. Awesome. Me too. Well, let's start. So I think um, we can go in so many directions. But I want to start with exactly what we just touched on, which is kind of like uh, big wellness, the wellness industry, uh, misinformation, and just kind of your view on the state of the wellness world as a whole, which is a big topic. Um, but yeah, I want to start there. So like what comes to mind when I even say that to begin with? What comes to mind is that it's a very prominent industry that is a very profitable industry right now. I think because of that and the consumerization of wellness, it's a really interesting space to be in right now because of what you said, the misinformation and inundation of information. So being a consumer in the space can be very confusing, making us have a very interesting job of not only myth busting, but also having to do daily kind of fact checking for what comes out. And for me, I kind of love that because it kind of fuels me to always stay curious and open-minded because I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know my fundamental beliefs. And so when I think of wellness right now, I think of the confused consumer, which mm. is really unfortunate. Yeah. That's so spot on, right? Like the confused consumer. And I think one of the challenges I find is the amount of information coming at people just makes people feel inadequate all of the time. Mm -hmm. And like the state of the average person just trying to get through their day, doing some health improvement or feel a little bit better is constantly told whatever they're doing is not enough. Mm -hmm. I think like as someone who is so passionate about this and also admittedly is happily not doing all of the things and I feel fine with that, it's so bizarre that people feel that the expectation is to do all the things all the time. Great. Right? 
Agreed. And I think it's by nature of the industry because it's almost a consumer driven industry. So you have to keep buying into something by thinking you're not doing enough. And I think that's super unfortunate, but agreed on my end, when people ask me what I do or what my routines look like, they're so simple because I genuinely don't believe in the nuances of tiny little protocols, making up my nine to five of my day or outside of those hours even. And I know we've talked about that of like, it, keeping it simple has a lot of power to it. And it also helps the burden of feeling like you're not doing enough because whatever's working is enough and understanding what working is too for you, which mm-hmm. is sometimes hard for the consumer to understand of like, I don't know if something is right for me. And that intuition aspect of it too, I think it's disrupted when you're constantly outsourcing to the internet or social media or what your best friend is doing to kind of keep up with the Joneses type of aspect. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think too, what gets tricky too, is when something does start to feel good and you develop that routine, all of a sudden that sort of challenge or that reach for that thing goes away and you can start feeling like, well, this isn't intense enough or this isn't enough. What's the next thing? Mm-hmm. In reality it's like wait no it's working just never think about this again like it's yeah. fine right yeah. it's like you have to constantly do the next thing or try the new workout or do the next you know supplement or whatever so um yeah I think it's frustrating and I think people like you and hopefully like us you know are um almost, I feel like this kind of like neutral, hopefully neutral source, just reminding you and whoever that you are like a human and like the things you're seeing, these are like not humans. These are marketing images and things. And it's like, how do we have the human approach? So for you on the nutrition lens, I kind of want to do like deep dive. Um, What are a couple things, like whether it's just people, what I guess here's a good way to start is what are a few of the most common things you see in your patients on a nutrition level that are either common questions or common myths or just things that you sort of want to like shake people and make sure they hear? Yeah. The two things that come to mind are when patients come to me and they're like, what should I eat? And they want me to tell them what works for them right off the bat, or if they ask for a meal plan. And I'll get into why those two things are kind of frustrating for me. The first one is, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there's not one, two, or even three foods that are going to cure all your problems. Like it is a holistic approach. When I think of diet of you can have whatever, but you need to be in the driver's seat of those decisions and whatever that looks like for you. And so asking me to write down a list of all the things you should be doing is a quarter of the battle. It's giving that information and educating, but I kind of loathe meal plans because I'm like, you're outsourcing to me when I want you to fit in the groove of your day, your lifestyle, your preferences, what feels good in your body, which I don't know unless you tell me. And so those two factors rise to the top. And which is why when I think of the best recommendations in nutrition, it's the thing that you hear all the time, eating whole real foods, because you want to think in my mind, what is the most nutrient density you can get in when you're eating foods? Period. Like you, you can have things that lack nutrient density, but like, let's say ultra processed foods, but you have to also think on the other end of the spectrum within a day or in a meal, how are you making up for that otherwise? So it's never a binary of good or bad. 
It's just making mindful choices. Mm. Uh, and that's why when there's rigid prescription in what someone should or should not eat, I get really frustrated because it's such a limited view of the philosophy that I hold of food or just nutrition in general. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. And so you're talking about sort of the new nutrition involved, the nutrient density involved, this type of thing, right? So the simplest rule or guideline, if there had to be one, would be just eat real food. Eat most real food. Of time. Most of the time, eat real food. And mm-hmm. so and so when when somebody then says, okay, so what are what are meals I should be eating? And you're talking about meal plans, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, I don't want to make a meal plan for you because you're not essentially learning about yourself through that process, which is maybe the most important part, I think, of all of this is the ability to actually self-audit and reflect and notice and learn. If somebody were then coming to you and saying, okay, don't make a meal plan, but like, what are some of the most nutrient dense foods? What are some key places I should look? What would come to mind for you? So we kind of zoom out and I always use this phrase like a blueprint of a meal. So I think about which I'll get into the nutrient lens, but more of the macronutrient lens of like just doing a checklist. Do you have a protein? Do you have a fiber? Do you have a healthy fat? Do you have a carbohydrate? Um, And those can straddle a lot of categories with different foods. And just understanding that the nuances between each category is oftentimes the starting place for most of my clients. Even people who think they are very educated in the nutrition field or just a lay person that loves health, it's understanding what is a protein? What is a fat? Why fats aren't bad? Why carbs aren't bad? What is a fiber? And so understanding that that checklist is really empowering because it can be utilized when you make meals at home, go to restaurants or at people that travel all the time. So I like to start there. Mm. And then within those categories, I will educate them on that long list of foods that go into it. And oftentimes I'm kind of recommending foods that would be of the highest nutrient density. So high quality proteins. If you can't buy your own proteins, what does that look like when you're ordering out? And I never split hairs. I really have a realistic approach of not everyone's getting grass fed, grass finished, organic, whatever, like do what you can. And that is the best thing for you. And so it is a spectrum if we really wanted to get in the brass tacks of it. But I look at people as individuals and I want to empower them that they're not doing less because A, they can afford it or they don't understand it or any of those reasons. It's kind of just empowering the small, like we said, simple tools to let them make those own decisions. Of course, I'm a huge fan of anything that's like high in antioxidants, phytonutrients, plant-based things. I love all that because of all of its profound benefits, but kind of giving the categories I see as a great starting place and people can kind of match, make their own meals or think like, oh my God, I only had oatmeal for breakfast. What can I add to it? So it's more of like an abundant mindset instead of what am I doing wrong right now? And what do I need to take away? Because I think we're unlearning that method of diet culture, honestly, that we were taught in the early aughts and beyond. Um, So I always come from that lens. And if it happens to be a lack of nutrient-dense food in the meal, fabulous. If that's what you wanted, awesome. I just want to give them the tools to recognize that. Yeah, I love that so much, right? It's, It's sort of, instead of saying these foods are quote unquote good or bad and avoid these at all costs and eat as many of these, it's kind of like, again, here's this blueprint. And can you almost as your own mental exercise on awareness, identify what's on your plate, whether Mm -hmm. you're cooking it, whether you're at a potluck, whether you're at a friend's wedding, whether you're at a restaurant, whether you're ordering Chinese takeout, are you aware of what you're eating? Exactly. Um, Talk to me about fiber. 
So mm-hmm. talking about those things, those categories you just talked through, um, I would think, you know, when when we look at those, you said proteins, carbs, fiber, and fats. Fiber is the one that probably the fewest people um, are aware of. So can you talk to it? Maybe even beyond most people are like, oh, fiber, the thing that makes you poop. Yeah. That's the thing, the poop thing. But um, give us like a quick one-on-one on fiber, what it is, how much people should eat as a general rule, high fiber foods, just like anything that would be helpful. Yes. So fiber basically comes from plant-based sources. So it's indigestible and it helps with a ton of things. It does help with bowel movement, um, helps with the entire gut microbiome. It also helps with hormones, satiety. It's just profoundly beneficial. Um, you can get it from, like I said, fruits, vegetables, um, any of the starchy vegetables have it. It's kind of a spectrum. Um, but it's just so important to have. And I think the rate limiting step that I see for a lot of my clients is when you eat perishable foods, it requires time to prep them oftentimes. And some people are like, oh my God, I am never going to roast vegetables after I get off of my job that I was just clocked in for nine plus hours. So I'm again, super realistic, microgreens, things that you can sprinkle in. I'm a smoothie lover, throw spinach in there. So you don't even know what exists. Put it in sauces, little bits of fiber go a long way. And the general recommendation is again, hyper-specific to each person. I'm kind of more on the high fiber end where I'm like 30 grams to 35 grams per day would be my ideal. But if you're someone that's just introducing themselves to a more plant-forward diet, you want to go slow and low because it can backfire where you don't feel so good if you eat fiber too much too quickly. Um, And for certain conditions, some people are suffering from severe gastrointestinal issues that haven't resolved and fiber is their worst enemy at this point. And I want to emphasize at this point, because of what I see in a lot of people that have SIBO or IBS for whatever that could actually be called, they can't tolerate pretty much any vegetable and they just stay away from it. And they never solve their root cause. They think, oh, I just need to not have fiber rich foods. And that's my solution, which I, I don't know how in the weeds we want to get with that. But like in my practice is like, that's not the answer. We need to dig deeper and solve for that. So you can have that abundance of consuming whatever, but mindfully understanding that if something doesn't feel good, that's different than it not being tolerated. So that's my a hundred percent. That's great. Um, I want to think through on, on another lens, a couple other kind of common myths or questions maybe. And I think the, for, I jotted down a few notes of like, what are the things that there's so much confusion around or maybe something from like past conditioning or marketing messages people are still feeling unclear about Um, and want to go through a couple of them if that's cool let's do it um talk to me about eggs are eggs Uh good are eggs bad give me the eggs 101 for people this is the one-liner eggs are nature's multivitamin i love eggs unless you have an egg allergy i never want to see eggs in the bad food list and another thing is when people think they can't eat the egg yolk for whatever reason i understand adding egg whites or doing it for strategic reasons but eating a whole egg is so important because that's where the nutrients are is in that yolk i love eggs i think everyone should eat them if they can tolerate them or they're in their dietary approach I love that. I had eggs just before we spoke. So all in, all in a hundred percent. That's perfect. So the yolk, it's okay. It's beautiful. Um, what about carbs? Let's talk carbs in general, kind of a, it seems like it could be a very quick and small topic or a large topic, depending on 
maybe someone's background, but talk about carbs, what they do, pros and cons, challenges, where, where should people be aware? Yeah. So it kind of goes back to that fiber conversation we had, where I said, it's a spectrum of how much fiber is in those certain foods I mentioned. Because when you think of carbs, it encompasses fruits and vegetables. So even a piece of lettuce is technically a carb, but so is a piece of bread or a Snickers bar. So it's a huge spectrum of the fiber content versus the starch content versus added sugar content, which is all a carbohydrate. If we got into the nuts and bolts of that too. Carbs are so important for so many reasons. They are energy source. Again, it comes with that fiber piece, which I just wax poetically on how much I love fiber. And then also they're so important for so many other conditions. Um, I was recently researching for a lot of my patients who have like thyroid conditions and they go low carbohydrate. And it's actually the worst thing that they can do. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the messaging of dogmatic approaches of like keto will save the world, or you need to stay 10 feet away from carbs at all time. And this misunderstanding of what they're really doing and a, a nuanced approach is needed when you're thinking about carbohydrates. Um, so when I think about them with my patients, I think of how to balance them, you know, carbs in isolation. If you're going to the movie theater and you want like a buttery popcorn, live your life. That's not the time where I'm like, where's your protein? Like I, I kind of need people to have quality of life, but if you're creating a meal or a meaningful snack, you want to have that balance. So how do you pair a carb with something that's going to limit the blood sugar excursion? Let's say a fiber addition to it or another protein addition. So it's a little bit more of, like I mentioned earlier, a philosophy or a framework around it rather than ever a dogmatic approach of like no carbs ever. For some clients, they feel so good when they limit them or go low carb and more power to them. I am with them step by step of that, that plan as long as I'm looking at their labs and they're feeling good. Um, but I never take a, a blanketed approach to yes or no anything. It's very specific to the person. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. Um, taking a detour, because as much as I want to make this just like a masterclass, um, I like to have a little more, you know, soulfulness to things. So um, I want to talk about an interesting question that I often think about that I don't think people ask, which is in this space, like personally, why do you care? Like, why do you care about nutrition? You're unbelievably knowledgeable about it, but like personal story, like where did, what got you into this space? Mm -hmm. um, there's always, there's gotta be some reason. So like, what, what made you passionate about this to begin? Such a good question. And I've been thinking about it a lot recently. So I got into the nutrition space by being an athlete as a kid. Like I grew up playing every single sport and I did have a very limited understanding of what I ate and it impacted how I felt when I did whatever sport I was doing. I played soccer, basketball. I was in tennis, swimming, like literally I understood a kind of a relationship there. And so when I went to college, it made sense. I was like, this is cool. I like food, but what kept me in the field, which I think is more important is the curiosity aspect of it. Nutrition, you cannot nail down, nail down in a static moment. It is ever evolving. And I think that's the coolest thing. There's also the aspect of being in service to others and working with clients, which as you know, is like the coolest thing in the world that someone trusts you and tells you things and you can work with them. And that relationship is something that I honor and respect. And I'm so grateful for, for anyone who lets me work with them. Um, but it's really that I wake up every day still curious to learn more and like hungry to learn more and be 
a better practitioner for others. And I know that sounds kind of corny, but it's like, if I can help one person within how we started this crazy world of wellness and health, that feels meaningful. And so, and you follow me on social media. I love my rants. So I get to the point sometimes that I'm like, oh my gosh, if no one else is going to say it, I guess I'll say it. So it's kind of my impetus to stay here. Um, and I haven't fallen out of love with it yet. Knock on wood, I never do. I love that so much. Um, and it's it's interesting because, you know, I sometimes feel like, to your point, I sometimes feel personally where I'm like, you know, you're you're in New York, right? I used to live in New York. There, like, if you picture the the image of the person like yelling into a megaphone as everybody walks by them in like a busy New York uh, street, I'm like, that's me talking about nutrition on social media. I'm like, is anybody gonna hear the reality ever? And I feel like you have the same thing, but it touches on something important. So, so your background, so it started with kind of athletics, like the the movement piece maybe was the initial vehicle into anything relating to health, wellness, your body, and then nutrition became kind of um, the vehicle that brings more curiosity to your day. Yeah. So when you think back, are you still playing sports? Are you still, what's the, are you athletic now? Do you work out? What's the movement piece in your life? I'll always refer to myself as a former athlete because I am the most competitive person. I think in a healthy way, I still move, but in totally not the ways that I did when I was like 18 and like yeah, yeah. totally like love doing sports. I would do it sunrise to sunset. Um, I think I liked the sports sports nutrition aspect because I liked sports and I was like, maybe one day I'll work with a sports team and not glamorize it enough to like get me into like a biochem class where I was like, oh, this is the reality of it. Yeah. But I'm forever grateful for. Um, but movement is so important to me. I became a certified Pilates instructor just because I understood marrying movement with nutrition is such an important tool because they go hand in hand. And just being super grateful for the ability to move and more than just, again, what we're saying, like the unlearning things or things we've unlearned from, you know, previous decades of movement isn't just to burn calories. It isn't just to sweat. Like, what is it really doing for me? And that has extremely evolved in my life. Um, and I try to pass that along too, but getting my Pilates certification was like another layer of being like, let me put some, you know, education behind my ideas in this. So yeah. What is what has changed for you with your your relationship with movement a little more because I I've found personally the shift in my life has been there was a period of my life and we could go into full therapy for hours about this so we don't we don't have to do that but there's a there's a period of my life especially around like for me you know losing 130 pounds and that process was very intense um on many levels but mm -hmm. when I look back on it, the exercise piece, it was like this curve where, where I began, I was kind of physically, like literally not able to do that much. And as progress happened, I became so almost surprised and excited that I could do things that I couldn't in the past. I went so hardcore yeah. and then movement and exercise became like a massive piece of my life, arguably mm -hmm. too much a piece of my life. And where I'm at now is like trying to bring it back down 
to regular real life and focus more on sort of the enjoyment and noticing how things feel in my body versus the intensity at all costs piece. Mm-hmm. So do you, have you had a similar experience? Do you have any thoughts on on that or where is it in your life? I kind of want to probe you on that. When it was at yeah. please like, your fitness was at its peak in that moment where you were saying it's too much. What were your feelings behind it? Like what was motivating you to keep doing it? Yeah. So for me, this is so great. I love this. I never, nobody ever asked me questions. Come on. Um, Looking back on it, I think at that point, I think I felt mentally like I always had something to prove. Like Mm -hmm. there was this piece of me that was like the underdog story in my head of what was happening. And I think the positive of that was it was highly motivating through that. I mean, it was a several year process. And then I got to a point where I I maybe did not have, I mean, I never had anything to prove at all ever, but I thought I did. But Mm -hmm. at the height of it, I think I still felt like I needed to prove something. And it was like, all right, Ethan, whatever you felt like you need to prove, like you've done it. And the other part of me was like, no, I'm going to just keep beating this into the ground. And I'm going to sign up for this half marathon for no reason. And I'm going to run a 10 K before my personal training session today for no reason, like stuff like that. Um, So it was almost like mentally, I think I was like a past version of myself showing up in my present self. And it was just such a bizarre um, challenge. It's fascinating, though, because even taking a look at your story, it's the layers of motivation, whether those are positive or healthy or unhealthy or serving you or not. And it's such a good insight into other people's journeys, too, because on the outside, awesome, Ethan's doing above and beyond. But internally, you're like, I'm on a hamster wheel. And yeah, 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 100%. I mean, that's a whole a whole thing. But it's spot on, right? And noticing like the mindset, even with our clients now for coaching, and I'm sure for you, the mindset piece is kind of everything to a degree, right? Like any any sort of change anybody wants to make, the mental piece um, is, is kind of arguably the whole thing, actually. I completely agree. And I mean, even to answer your question, I think that's what's changed in my uh, mindset with, or my idea of what I need to be doing for exercise, because I think it was similar before for me, it was like, I have to do this because I need to look a certain way, or I need to be sweating or nearly throwing up or whatever, like having the most high intensity exercise because of what I did in the past for athletics. And then an expectation for myself that was truly unrealistic and for no reason. Um, but I was counting out, how do I feel when I'm doing those things? Like, is it causing more me more anxiety that I missed a workout rather than feeling so joyful that I moved my body in a meaningful way? And that whole dichotomy was so not available to me in my early twenties or especially my teenage years. And so with, honestly, I kind of think the pandemic in a way that it really made me a not have access to a gym. So, you know, running on a treadmill for however long was out. It made me think of like, how can I be creative and how can I tap into ways that make me feel good when like everything is out of my control? What can I do to 
truly tap into my body and feel its best. And I think that's why I started doing lower impact activity. That's why I love Pilates. Don't get me wrong. I still do a various class or run on the treadmill every now and again, but the relationship of the why that you were mentioning is, I think what has totally evolved for me and I think a healthier way. And I think it will continue to change. Um, but it's more like I wake up thinking, what do I need today? Some days that's nothing. And that's totally fine. And yeah. so it's a nuanced approach that, yeah, likewise, I think the mindset that I work with clients on is I try to offer that too. Totally. I love it. That's beautiful. <laughs> I think when you think about mindset and eating and nutrition, you know, I think there's sort of two pieces that come to mind that I'd love your thoughts on. You know, one is the mindset around kind of unlearning, like I always say, like unlearning diet culture and unlearning that misinformation and view of your body and all this kind of stuff. But then the other piece, which I really want to talk more about actually is unlearning the expectations we have of how quickly things are going to change and how quickly the process is to improve our health on any level. And mm -hmm. Just, I'm sure with your patients, that's one of the challenges is somebody maybe who's experienced something for 20, 30, 40 years, and there's frustration when it's not changed in two, three, four weeks. Yeah, no, it's, and it's justifiable a lot when some people have dealt with chronic conditions or ailments and they're just at their wits end. They really are searching for quick fixes for honestly an understandable reason so it's really the relationship building of like, trust me, what will get you out of this in the long run are these small little changes. And sometimes it's not even making a recommendation to visit. It's not therapizing because I know my scope, but really understanding that why, like what is going to fuel that motivation in a healthy way to make that small change consistently over time? Because the, the harsh reality of it is that some things are really hard to do and while I would love to offer easy fixes for everyone, some things require a little bit of like, okay, I'm going to put my mind to this. I'm going to trust the process for a week or a couple days or a couple months. Um, and so I see that a lot. And it's really understanding what are those flags in the road that we can check in of like, are things working? And some people need tangible data. Maybe they need blood work. Maybe they need to do a weigh-in. Maybe they need to just have another metric or some people really need to have the intuition of like, how am I feeling in this moment when the world is spinning a mile a minute? So I try to have a complex, you know, conversation with people and really, I always say like, I'm like the guardrails on a bowling alley. Like you can do whatever you want, but I'm going to give you space to be safe. And so I just, I think it's just offering the space to try things and give realistic expectations because the quick fixes that we see on the internet are sustained for a few weeks and they last that same amount of time and they're the the benefits are gone after that amount of time yeah how do you come up with the the metrics and how you're gonna come like goal measuring and that whole process i know different clients have different comfort zones and motivations and that sort of thing but what what's that process like with somebody working with you like how do you decide what makes sense or decide with them yeah, I'll be candid if we do. So at the office that I work at at the Lambie, we do like a body comp analysis. And before I even do it, I'm, I ask them, I'm like, is this something healthy and helpful for your journey? And if they say no, we never need to use a weight metric. Some people love that. And again, I'll have evolving conversations of like, is this still motivating in a healthy way? Or are we just trying to get to a number? So it's really 
a rapport building and understanding and a realistic approach. And if that's working for them, great. We'll do weights. We'll do a cadence that feels good. I'm definitely not a daily weights person or anything like that, but it's custom to that person. The other thing that we offer here is blood work, which I'm a firm believer in because it really illuminates everything going on internally and the systems kind of working. Um, so whether they like it or not, they do labs at least twice a year. So I use that as a metric and that's pretty like objective. So there's, you know, not a lot of things that go into it that people are against knowing. Um, but then there are some people that have a really longstanding journey of like either disordered eating or orthorexia or things like that, where I'm like, let's have a conversation of undoing chasing a number or a data point. And sometimes it's the first time they've heard from a healthcare practitioner that those aren't important or like a wearable, like let's just remove the numbers for a second and let's let your body start telling us what it needs. And it's, oftentimes it's a hard conversation, but a meaningful one. And I try to give the space for that too. I love that so much. I find I have such a um, conflicted view on the the fitness watches and the wearable devices and all this stuff. It's it's like on one hand, I understand that it could be valuable, really. But when I my gut tells me this stuff is actually not doing that much for you except making you obsessive yeah that's kind of my view but but what do you find with that sort of thing like i i would so much rather somebody not have something telling them how they feel quote unquote how they feel and then ask like how do you feel instead of being like well it says i need to move more today so i'm gonna go walk in in the living room for 10 minutes like what are you doing like do you want like what is going on (laughs) like why is this happening no, totally. And I've been that person where I was like, oh, I need to close my Apple Watch rings. And I'm like, maybe I didn't need that today, or maybe I did. Like, I don't know. And I actually recently stopped using my Apple Watch for that exact reason. I would like be in a workout class and be like, oh my gosh, I didn't start the workout. I'm like, why do I need to track this for it to count? Right. So I've kind of evolved my idea on wearables. They're extremely valuable for some people. If it's healthy and helpful, again, I always use that term. Great. If you need to understand things with your sleep and you want to know like, oh, I'm not getting any deep sleep. And that serves as a breadcrumb to kind of dig into, are you mouth breathing? Are you too hot when you sleep? That's great. But when you're outsourcing that intuition, like you mentioned, that's when it becomes a problem because wearables are great adjunct tools, but they cannot dictate your whole life. And I think we're in that mode right now where everyone wants a gadget to tell them what to do. I think now more than ever, we need to be tuning into ourselves to let, again, us tell our body, our body to tell us what we should be doing in that moment. And I'm sure you see this all the time. It's like you mentioned, someone will have aura ring data where it's like, oh, I'm in the red today, so I'm not going to do anything, but I feel good. And they're in this internal conflict. I'm like, do what you feel. The data only knows so much. So it's a push pull. I see their value and I'm sure they're going to evolve into a, you know, even more helpful. But right now I'm in this weird limbo in between whether I like them or not. Yeah. Um, You just said something so brilliant that I don't even know if you realized. Um, You use the phrase outsourcing your intuition. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could be, I mean, that's a book title right there. (laughs) That's, that is brilliant. That is spot on for, I mean, that is almost, it's like mind blowing right now as I'm thinking, but that is 90% of the work in improving your health is is not doing that right mm-hmm. 
being able to trust what you're feeling, not just physically, emotionally, mentally, how that's all connected, right? Like not seeking the answers on TikTok or in an article somewhere. Um, I think one of the, I, I was talking to somebody recently and they said the most profound thing around um, diet culture and the most kind of disturbing thing about like the wellness industry is that it's caused people to um, not trust their instincts anymore. Mm. And so they force themselves to eat less because they think, you know, their portion needs to be the size of their thumb for something because they saw it on a chart and all this kind of stuff. I think to that point, how do you find like that connection around tuning inward? What is that process like for people you work with? What are ways that are there any strategies, exercises, guidelines, journal prompts, anything that comes to mind to help um, people like trust their intuition instead of outsource it? Yeah, I kind of I always frame this too as like it get a little spiritual with this and you can call that whatever you want, but it's first and foremost, removing the distractions that are inundating our life. So less screen time, less like TV time, less again, outsourcing your attention to things that really remove you from your body and in the moment, because not only do those things create anxiety, but they are literally not physically in front of you. Um, so having space where that isn't present. And for most people, that's not a big part of their day where they don't have some form of screen or media in front of them. And more and more that's becoming more predominant. So that's an aspect of it. And then it's really being honest with yourself because I mean, I believe in therapy for everyone, but just in my own journey, it's you can name an emotion, but really digging into that emotion and what that means for you is so important. So for an example, I was working with someone that has anxiety and they stress it. I was like, okay, so you have anxiety and that's the reaction. Let's dig into the things that are making you anxious. And why is eating a coping mechanism or what is the real anxiety? Like, what does it feel like in your body? Like, is it, you know, your hands go numb or you're jittery and all those things. Like, what are the self-soothing tactics based on tuning into your body and what it needs in that moment? Sometimes it's just getting outside or going on a walk. So I think the framework of empowering people that your body is talking to you is so important, removing distractions, and then also being able to have that language to name what's going on. Some things don't need a name or a reason, but I think it's very Brene Brown to be like, name your emotion to shine light on it and let it be present. And just even opening that door to how important that is can be step one too, of like, you've got to let things rise to the surface in order to deal with them. Um, and that's why I kind of frame it as more spiritual because that's definitely not something I learned in school for nutrition, but eating is emotional and eating is something we do multiple times a day. So having that kind of understanding behind our actions and our body and things like that, I think are so important. Totally. I love that. We can go spiritual anytime, anytime, just so you know. Um, I think so too. I mean, the more I find, um, not just working with you, but just in my own life and in learning and reading it, it, it's so much on what you're talking about. It, I always think of it as like, what role is food playing in your life? Mm -hmm. Right? Like that's a much deeper question than like how many grams of protein a day am I supposed to have? Just tell me, you know? And it's <laughs> like, let's look at the role food plays in our life. Right. And when you're talking about Brene Brown, you look at somebody like 
Gabor Mate, right? Who I know right. we, we both love, which is amazing, right? You look at all these things and like even reading a lot around addiction in general, right? And you think about even if the substance is not, you know, alcohol or drugs or whatever, um, looking at the coping mechanisms that are going on, right? And looking at maybe there's a an imbalance in other areas of your life and food becomes a, you know, natural comfort, like the phrase comfort food or stress eating, like these things make sense, mm -hmm. right? And so I guess, I don't know if this is a question or I just want your thoughts on it, but that realm to me, I'm finding more and more is kind of everything. And mm -hmm. all the, the grams of this and that kind of follow after the deeper root cause stuff around the emotional well-being and the role food is playing. I agree. And you can see that in like patients journeys with their dietary habits, or I would say even in my own journey, like when people are obsessed with tracking something again, it's that outsourcing aspect. And yeah, it's, it's, I mean, naming both of those professionals in the field, it just brings up to so many things that, you know, your body responds in certain ways and being able to identify those factors is just, I think it's an ongoing journey of life is really tuning into the things that we went through and how we're reacting now and moving forward and what's serving us best. Um, but it's also kind of goes to tie it in a bow with outsourcing things. It's that's why frust I get frustrated with social media of these blanket statements that are so dogmatic. It doesn't account for any of those nuances of the individual experience. Mm -hmm. You know, just because someone does one thing doesn't mean they have lack of willpower or they're, you know, X, Y, Z. It's, it's having that relationship with a patient, which I think you and I both have with people we work with. It's understanding like, oh, that's happening because of X reason and giving them a rule isn't going to fit within their life because of these extenuating factors. And I think that's why the individual approach to care is so important and the messaging that people have on social media, because not everyone has the luxury of working with a professional, but they do have the luxury of a free social media outlet. It's being aware of the messaging because of that. Um, and that's why I think both of us have such a strong approach to like mindfulness around everything. Yeah. I think I just really took that answer in a circle, but <laughs> no, it it's so true though. It is true. It is true. And it's also being aware. I mean, social media is such a like garbage can of everything, but it is being aware of what you're putting out there and the messaging. And again, the 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 space that food is filling and the role it's playing in people's lives. Um now back to a random one, another okay. one that comes to mind. I want to talk about um, plant-based eating. Um, I think plant-based, uh, vegan, whatever you want to call it. Can you, can you comment on that? Like the pros and cons of a plant-based diet, maybe some of the misinformation, but also some of the positives. Like if somebody's curious or they're feeling like, oh, well, maybe if I just try this vegan thing or go plant-based, that will solve blank problem. Like who is that best for? What are the benefits? Give us kind of a one-on-one on plant-based. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of, you know, documentaries that promote plant-based eating that are very convincing. And so people will see information that's laid out in a very educated way. And they're like, I got to do it. I, it seems like the only answer. Whereas again, I'm going into the, I do not take a dogmatic approach on plant-based yeah. having 
whole foods in your diet. And because of that, I'm like, great. If you have more plants in your diet, you're probably going to feel really good because what happens is it edges out the things that are probably not serving you so well. If someone wants to go full vegan, I am right there with them, but I want to do it mindfully because what I tend to see in some people is they start bending the rules. They're like, oh, okay, well, Pringles are vegan and I'm at a store and they just start like trying to follow a rule that doesn't really make sense for, again, going back to that intuition of them feeling good. And so I'm all for all plants in the diet. But going back into some of the things that I've unlearned is I'm a total fan of animal-based proteins and kind of sources when, you know, it's done well and ethically ideally um but i think more and more it's don't be afraid of certain foods because we were told at one point in time they were across the board horrible for you it's this more inclusive aspect of okay if is it is it within your sensibilities to eat an animal-based source yes or no ethically okay we'll move on from there but i think doing something just based on a trend is truly never the answer because we will have a new dietary approach tomorrow and then the next day and trying to follow that trend every single day is going to exhaust you and confuse you and leave you probably worse than you started because yeah. changing that quickly is not helpful. Yeah, I love that. It's so true. And I think, I mean, like that or any other um, trend or or diet or anything, there's this, there's this hope or this assumption that's not being said, which is if I only do blank, all of my problems will go away, not just dietary, but I will be my best, happiest self and I will win the lottery and my life will be perfect. And it's like, again, it's escaping the deeper kind of auditing that you need. Yeah. And I always offer the question, like, what if you were doing enough right in this moment? Have you thought about that? Like, what does that look like if you think this is enough instead of like always future fretting? And that can be illuminating for some people. They're like, oh, I am doing a lot right now. <laughs> that yeah. is for me. Yeah, absolutely. And that is so true, too. It, it goes into this self-worth question a little bit and the self-esteem piece to the whole thing. Right. Which is, um, do you know, is your view of your body tied to your worth as a human? And what does that look like? And I know we are going into therapy here, but that piece, that piece is also so important to ask. I think that's amazing that you asked that question of like, what if you're already doing enough now? can you accept that? Like, what, how does that feel when I say that? Right. Mm -hmm. Because I think the assumption is always, we are not enough as we are. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would imagine that flips it where all of a sudden, anything you're doing nutritionally is kind of to, to feel a certain way and be like, Oh, I feel better when I eat blank versus I need to do this next thing. Um, mm -hmm. are, are there any, um, I'm trying to think like when you look at intermittent fasting, for example, can you touch on this is something I find a lot with clients, even more recently asking about intermittent fasting, maybe I should do this. What, what's your take on fasting in general? Yeah. The million dollar question. Should I fast or not? Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, if it ever causes you more anxiety to do, it is not serving your health. So if it's like, oh my God, I have to not go to this dinner because I'm supposed to stop eating at 6 PM. Yeah. Probably the best tool for you. Um, I think it works great for some people. It's no new news that I think it works better for men than it does for women. Um, typically just because of kind of some of the hormone piece, if people do it, and again, they are 
spending a ton of mental burden to fit their meals within a certain time frame, And they're like doing mental gymnastics to make it work with their social and work life. I'm just like, for what, like, what have we learned for you doing it? Um, for most people, if they're finding success with it and it's easy, go for it. Again, going back to the lab piece, if I see someone that has a thyroid condition or is trying to conceive or is skipping breakfast just to intermittent fast for an unknown reason that I don't know yet. And it's just because like, they're trying to have a calorie deficit. Those aren't really the best reasons for me. And I try to educate them on like, let's, you know, get your nutrient and energy needs in, in a mindful way. And if your goal is, I don't know, weight loss or something like that, maybe there's a different approach for you. Um, I am kind of a firm believer that we should have a little bit of time that we're not eating right before bed and that there should be a window of true fastedness while we're sleeping to do all the beautiful things that happen while we're sleeping fasted. But I don't know if that's like downloading an app that tells you when to start and stop eating. Um, so I think I'm probably less popular on that opinion. I'm like, do it. It works for some people, but it's um, not for everyone. Yeah. And the sleep piece is so important and and under focused right it's not like the sexy thing nobody's posting videos of them sleeping on tiktok as their wellness routine um although maybe they should like that would be an interesting renaissance we could we could go through but um i i had at one of our events we had um this incredible functional medicine doctor there and he was talking and he did his entire session on sleep and he was talking about how in his practice, he will work with patients on nothing but sleep until their sleep is great. And then they'll work on nutrition and movement and everything. And he was kind of like, if we can fix that piece, the ripple effect is huge. Um, and it's kind of been on my mind a lot lately. What, what have you noticed around sleep? Do you have specific sleep kind of protocols that come to mind or anything on digestion and sleep and eating before bed and that sort of thing. Completely. And I completely agree with that doctor. I think it makes the effort that you have to do with all other things so much easier when you have good quality sleep. Mm. Um, you see it in not only lab panels, but kind of the qualitative data of how you feel when you get good sleep, your metabolic health is in a better place. Your heart health is in a better place. Um, my kind of couple tips around sleep are to have routines not to be super rigid, but to have consistency. I think it's really hard to live in a society where we are outsourcing again, our attention to screens and other people and emails to not have time to unwind before we go to sleep because our mind is, it, our mind is not a light switch. It's not on. And then it's, off. you need kind of this period of peacefulness and calmness. And it's easier said than done with different life situations. If you have kids, if you work a late job and things like that. But even a couple minutes where you're not focused on a screen, I think is so important. So ideally yeah. you have a half hour routine hour. If you have the allotted time of doing something that's super mindful to wind yourself down and create consistency of that bedtime morning time is always going to usually be, it has to be what it is. Um, but also on the end of that bookend is how do you wake up? Are you waking up and looking at your phone? Are you waking up and mainlining coffee? Do you have any just a breath before you start your day to yourself? Um, and I think optimizing those two ends because we are conscious, we can't really control too much when we're unconsciously asleep. Optimize sleep for a lot of people. And what I hear is like, oh, I don't have any routine at night. And I'm like, let's just start there. Let's do something that's super 
easy and calm. It could take 10 minutes. It could be a meditation. It could be one big breath and we'll start there. Yeah. Um, but I just think sleep is so important for everyone. And it's something that we used to think we didn't need. We could just kind of power through and it wasn't important, but we're seeing it's one of the most important things for all aspects of health. Yeah. I love it. Um, and another thing that comes to mind, and this is kind of the, the one that I also think is, is interesting. And I'd love your thoughts on our supplements, like similar. It's something again, like not sexy, but people have different opinions. Um, you just got like a huge smile on your face when I said, I've never seen the joy of, of the supplement conversation. Um, so I'm just going to follow that. Tell me what, what, what you're thinking when I even mention the word supplements. I feel like it's the most disorganized area of health and wellness because everyone has an idea of what to do and it is such the wild west. It's uh, very chaotic. It's a, there's like very chaotic energy around supplements. Chaotic <laughs> energy is yes. Exactly. Yeah. Right. There are so many supplement companies and great. I love people trying to do good in the world and offer a good product, but I think a lot of them a, don't do much or are very misguided in what they truly do. So when I think of supplements, I am keep it simple. I rarely have someone on more than maybe five things at a time because of specific reasons. One, we need to have a reason that you're starting the supplement. What is it intended to do? Does that supplement do that? Are you using a good brand? What is the dosage? And does it counteract anything else that you're doing? And the issue is not a lot of people have that lens when they're going into supplements. They just see a powder that's promoted on Instagram and they're like, oh, well, this influencer, it changed their life when they started using it. So that should work for me when they're not seeing the whole story of honestly, supplements are really potent. And if you go into the herb category, again, they work almost like medication. So it's not for nothing how important they are to kind of think about thoroughly. Um, and then within the routines, are things counteracting each other? Are you having something that's the most bioavailable for you individually? And I know this sounds complicated, but I hope the complication of what goes into a supplement recommendations helps people unwind what they think they need, because rarely do we need a lot. Most people, especially on the East Coast, we need a vitamin D. If you're on a birth control pill, you might need a multivitamin or B12. Um, if you have heart health concerns, maybe a fish oil. It's not like this slew of things to solve all your issues. And changing supplements really fast over time really doesn't give a meaningful amount of time to show their efficacy. And oftentimes that makes you feel worse because you're just introducing this kind of mainline nutrient in a high dose in short sprints without really a nuanced approach to it. So I get so passionate about supplements because people act like it's, oh, you're just taking uh, collagen or you're just taking this. And I'm like, no, it's really, it should be a thoughtful approach. Yeah, I think... I think that's so true. And um, I think it's interesting what you said too, because I find um, even myself, admittedly, I'll go through periods where I'm like, well, I feel fine, but I know everybody's pretty much deficient in magnesium. So I should just take magnesium, right? Like, and then I start taking it. I'm like, I feel no different. I felt fine before. I still feel fine. I guess I should take it. Why am I spending money on it? I don't know what's happening. And then it just, that cycle is very common. Um, and I think what you said is interesting, you know, about needing to take a supplement for a long period of time before you might notice any different and seeing it in your blood work versus, um, you know, I think the expectation shouldn't be that you start taking a fish oil 
And all of a sudden you're qualifying for the Boston Marathon tomorrow or something. You know what I mean? And I think that disconnect, again, leaves people kind of vulnerable to be sold like the magic supplement. Mm -hmm. um, so it sounds like as a general rule, maybe vitamin D, maybe a fish oil, maybe magnesium. Um, those are pretty common, safe, safe bets. Um, maybe B vitamins to look at for plant-based friends, especially like this type of stuff. Yeah. But but people shouldn't just take things because they feel like they should. Like basically what I just described that I've done before is what people should not do, essentially, yeah. right? Some things are benign. Like if you take a, a good brand of magnesium and it's glycinate and not one that's like oxide that's going to ruin your GI, it's great. That's yeah. probably, you're probably not doing any harm. And any of the water soluble vitamins, you're probably fine. You're just having expensive urine at the end of the day. But when you dabble into things that can build up in your body or do real hormones, like again, from the herb piece, or you really just don't have an idea of what's internally kind of happening when you take them, that's when it's like, let's take a second look and really be a conscious consumer. It's good and bad that we have access to Google because you can kind of look things up yourself if you don't have access to a healthcare provider to kind of soundboard those with. Like doing that research on your own is super important too. I don't think we should always have to do everything on our own, but yeah. it's good to feel educated in your approaches, especially if you see a new supplement trend. Look it up, see if it's realistic, see if there's even remotely any science behind it, because that can be helpful for some people. Yeah. I love it. Um, I feel like I could talk to you forever about this and just anything. Um, is there anything while we're chatting that we have not touched on that you feel you're just like, I've got the megaphone. I want everybody on earth to hear this. Not that everybody on earth is listening, but theoretical everybody on earth. Is there anything we've missed that you think is super important for people to know? I feel like we touched on a lot of good areas. I think just the theme or the through line through everything is keep it simple. And that can be super frustrating advice, but truly I think it's sustainable advice that's going to keep you well and hopefully empower any of the listeners to know that hopping on the next best thing isn't necessary to feel good. You have a lot of the answers internally and a lot of the things are super simple. So hopefully that alleviates that constant burden of needing to do more. I love that. You know, I often to that point remind people, you know, nobody ever got fit from one big workout where they're like, all right, I just worked out for five hours. I'm fit now. Glad that's behind me. Just as nobody ever improved their health from like the greatest salad of all time. And they're like, great. It's all consistency. And the only way you can be consistent is if you enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. usually through simplicity. Um, Last question, which I ask everybody, everybody, um, we've touched on so many things, right? From movement to all forms of nutrition, to sleep, to stress, to mental and emotional health, to fiber, to all of the things in between. Um, when you sit and think about it, how would you define true health? I would define true health as trusting yourself, feeling like you are living to your highest abilities within your body and accepting true honesty within yourself. And it kind of brings in that spiritual lens. It's a little woo woo, but I really think we have this beautiful vessel 
And we need to constantly remind ourselves that it's such an honor to have this body. And so true health is just tapping into that and feeling good, whatever that means for, for you. I love it. Beautiful. Um, Taylor, you are the best. For anybody listening, where can they find you online? You or the land be maybe your work in general. Where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at tailored health. There's a period between tailored and health. Um, I also am the wellness advisor at the Lambie. Like Ethan mentioned, we are a primary care membership club in New York City. We have access to all virtual care. So even if you aren't in New York, you can work with us as a care team model. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah. Taylor is amazing. The Lambie is amazing. Check them out. I'll put links in the episode notes. Um, and I think that is it. So thank you, Taylor. Appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you for having me.